Good morning, Good campers. Good morning, campers. Today's activities include an over-the-ocean voyage on, on a safe ship. Don't worry, it's fine. We'll, we'll get to the other side. <laughs> Lunch today will be a Coney Island hot dog. And to end the night, we will be showing our ex-wife that she really can't survive without me. <laughs> Take that, ex-wife! Ah, uh, I see you have glimpsed some of the subtext of this musical. <laughs> subtext is not a word in this musical, Sarah. <laughs> Super text. So put on your sunscreen, bug spray, and camp uniform as we dive into our long-awaited, by me, episode on Love Never Dies. Love never dies, apparently. Marishka Hargate, Sarah. Marishka Hargate, Sam. I am your camp counselor, Sam, pro bodybuilder in training and current drag queen. And I'm camp counselor, Sarah. I'm a very minor character from the first show. And we're here to ask, is it camp? We're diving into popular culture of all kinds to loosely identify what makes something camp. We are not here to be the definitive experts on it, but rather just talk about this often overlooked and frankly queer subgenre. So, Sarah. <laughs> Sarah, my, my, my platonic camp life mate. Um, I love you. I just wanted to say that I love you, and I know that you love me back, and we will get through this together. <laughs> the, the, this this is this is our crucible. Love never dies is our crucible. Um, this is a deeply silly musical. <laughs> the thing, the thing is, Phantom of the Opera, which for those of you who don't know, Love Never Dies is a sequel to the musical of Phantom <clears throat> of the Opera, still written by Andrew Lloyd Webber. Twenty five, thirty years later. Um. And <laughs> Phantom of the Opera, I think it's fair to say it's a divisive show. Um, there are people who really love it, myself included. There are people who really hate it, and I can see their arguments. Um, I'm told that there are people who really love Love Never Dies. Allegedly. I, I find that... You know what? Hold on. I'm, I'm going to say this. There are all kinds of people out there who love all kinds of strange things that I'll never understand. Like, I don't know, pterodactyls. If you're big into pterodactyls, I love that for you. I think those are awful, awful creatures, but great. Good good on you. So I'm, I'm never going to besmirch somebody if you're listening to this episode right now and you're just like, oh, someone did a podcast on Love Never Dies. I'll listen to it. I love that you love 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 no, i said love too many times in that sentence i enjoy that you enjoy love never dies great i i love that awesome. your love for love never dies never dies buffalo yes, buffalo great. buffalo 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 <laughs> <laughs> um I, I i had a discussion with with my co-worker who's huge into musicals straight dude huge into musicals uh, and he's he's got like very particular tastes. You know, he can see flaws, and he's very generous when he talks about them. I, I don't think I've ever heard him say something absolutely terrible about a musical. Mm -hmm. Right? Maybe once where he's just like, "Don't see it. Just 
no, it's it's not worth it. Uh, and with Love Never Dies, we were discussing it, and I said, if this wasn't Andrew Lloyd Webber, if this was a rando making this musical, and it wasn't a sequel to Phantom of the Opera, I think this musical would be quite successful. But really? the okay. weight of Phantom... I think mm. the weight of Phantom looms so large over this musical uh-huh. that it that it, it was either it either had to be be a smash hit success or it's a failure. There's no options in between. That's and the thing. Frankly, the original Phantom, when you add up everything, and we're talking about just the Andrew Lloyd Webber Phantom has grossed something like six billion dollars it is probably the most successful musical of all time how do you you can't match that that's exactly it right but if you were to go in and you changed the names of the characters but you kept all the setting the same Mm -hmm. and instead like you just remove ah yes he was the phantom and instead he just becomes a mysterious benefactor I think this could be a very successful Phantom-esque musical. I I think that the material by itself is not good enough, but I see what you are getting at. I do not disagree with your premise. It it could be tweaked. Yes, it, of course, it would have to be tweaked, and you know, the the names of the people per- portrayed within, uh, if they relate to anyone living or fictional, is entirely coincidental. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> But no ten-year-old it's, boys it's were wh- harmed in the making of this uh, musical. Yeah, exactly. Right, uh, the uh, the animal rights thingy thing. We're looking all over this, and they said, "Well, we don't see any problems. That dancing uh, bear isn't real." Yeah. I think there is a nugget of good in here. But there, when you hold yeah, that nug- I think there are nugget two songs to, in this that I. There are two songs in this that are well-written. We will Mm -hmm. discuss them in more detail later on, though. Because, oh boy. Mm Mm-hmm. But it's just that it's it's Andrew Lloyd Webber, right? Mm -hmm. It would... His presence and Phantom's presence just looms so large over this. That for this to come out, it's a big swing. I appreciate a big swing. Mm-hmm. But it also feels like I've seen parts of this done more successfully in other things before. Um, it's it's almost like a, a fanfic of Phantom of the Opera. It is it has a, very a fi- lot like a fanfic, and it has, weirdly, a ton of fanfic tropes that were popular in Phantom of the Opera fanfiction. Really? Yes. Ooh. Mm-hmm. Because, but, of course, Raoul yeah. is an asshole who doesn't deserve Christine. Of course he treats her yeah, badly. He's doesn't an, she know he's what, an she, what good now. things she had? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, uh, oh, you know... The bad guy of it, it's not really the bad guy. The bad guy is another scorned woman. And, mm. oh, well, two other scorned women. Yes. And, yeah, I, I could easily have seen any number of teenagers from 
you know, one of my high schools sitting down and, and writing this out. I went to three different high schools in case anybody's wondering. It's because I kept burning the gymnasium down and they kept exploding. <laughs> but they were full of vampires. So, no, no, I moved around a lot. Because uh, <laughs> of the vampires. <laughs> yeah, it just... Uh. It, it feels so of the time of when... Uh, the the few fan fictions I read, I had friends who were bigger into fan fiction. I know you're quite big into fan fiction yourself. I am. I, um, not... I'm quite picky about the fan fiction, but I, I have come in my 30s to appreciate that fan fiction brings me a lot of joy, and I should not be ashamed of something that brings me joy. Yeah, yeah, I, I'm, I'm all for it. There's the odd fan fiction here and there that I think is, is pretty good. Uh, the only one I've, I think I've read fully is uh, My Immortal. If you've ever read that one, <laughs> we should cover My Immortal sometime. We should, we should absolutely do it because I will do nonstop dramatic readings from it. So good. <laughs> Why do they call you vampire? Because I like to drink blood. <laughs> My Immortal is also that weird thing of, it's like the Tommy Wiseau thing of, are, are they in on it? Are we the butt of the joke? But you can't quite yeah, tell. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's so on the edge. This is either the greatest piece of comedy ever uh, written, or this is the least self-aware piece of trash that's ever been written and i yes. can't tell and that's but, where anyway, camp uh, lives to, baby <laughs> that, that is where camp lives but back to love never dies and i didn't hate my experience watching it mm -hmm. right it's not so bad that i was just like oh god when is this over it went by quite quickly i, I will say that you know for a oh, two hour musical, god i wish I wish I was you. The first time I watched this, I did not finish it. I have only not finished two musicals in my life, and it was Greatest Showman and this. Because I was like, I don't care. I don't want any more music. I don't want any more dancing. I just want it to stop. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think I've ever seen The Greatest Showman, so. Yeah, I love me I, Hugh Jackman. I, yeah, everybody in it is doing well, uh, but, but I, um, the songwriters for that, I, I don't like their songs. I think all of their songs sound like um, Coke jingles, um, which is no mm. shame to those who love it. I, I wish I could find joy in it. And that's exactly what we're, we're saying with this. What I'm saying with this, at least, is, um, mm -hmm. you know, I didn't hate the experience. I didn't quite love it. I just found it kind of puzzling and weak yeah the thing about like phantom a... <laughs> of the opera <laughs> again love it or not and i love it is you you don't really have time to get bored with it i find um there's mm -hmm. always a lot going on and this i feel like you are just and they're still singing and they are still singing they are mm -hmm. still singing yeah um yeah. but first of I... all <laughs> Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, let's... No, no, go, 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 go. Go, go, go. Background. It's background time, baby. Background time. So, um, Phantom of the Opera is technically our first episode that we released. We did the, um, the movie version of it. Uh, it's not the first one that we recorded, so I don't think of it as our first one. But, you know, it's kind of 
This is kind of a return back to our roots. Okay. So we talked on that mm -hmm. one a lot about how Phantom of the Opera got made, um, why they picked, um, oh, what's his face? Batman and Robin to direct it. Joel Schumacher. Joel Schumacher. Because um, Andrew Lloyd Webber had seen The Lost Boys and he thought it was a terrific movie. And he thought this guy is, is perfect. <laughs> this guy is perfect to do Phantom of the Opera. Uh, this was in the late 80s. He wasn't. <laughs> but I can see how you would watch The Lost Boys and think that. Oh, for sure, for sure. I think um, Joel Schumacher would have been the right choice for director if it had happened at the time that they wanted it to happen. Mm -hmm. um, but it if didn't. not, like I would love to see Brian De Palma's, but he's kind of already made his Phantom movie. But uh, uh, and, and it's it fucking amazing. Yeah, it's kind of a perfect movie. <laughs> it's so good. <laughs> um, so, as we discussed then, part of the reason why Love Never Dies was delayed so much is the same reason why the movie was delayed so much. Um, just when everything was sort of getting going was when Sarah Brightman and Andrew Lloyd Webber divorced. So that sort of took the wind out of the sails of everything Phantom of the Opera in terms of like new creations for a while, because Sarah Brightman and Michael Crawford were going to reprise their roles in the movie. So after a while, Sir Andy starts thinking, I want to make a sequel. I want to create a not... He says he doesn't want to think of it as a sequel. He wants to think of it as a second story with the characters, which you and I would call a sequel, but he seems to think it's very different. Oh, there's, um, you ever see comedy Bang Bang? Uh, weirdly enough, I love a bunch of people from it, but I've never seen it or listened to it. So, uh, Paul F. Tompkins plays recurring character, Sir yes! Andrew Lloyd Webber. Sir Andrew Lloyd Webber. And he's brilliant because he sounds nothing like Sir Andrew Lloyd Webber, and that's part of the joke. He always wears a top hat. Yeah. Because, uh, of course, he's, he's Paul F. Tompkins. And uh, one of the jokes he said is, um, yes, I'm planning on uh, doing a sort of remake, a, a redoing, a retelling of West Side Story. Except it shan't be a musical. It shall be my first non-musical and yeah, Scott Ackerman's like, uh-huh, okay, in interesting. But I'm also going to um, set it in the past, in uh, the uh, Elizabethan era, yes. and uh, yeah, set the whole thing in Venice, and <laughs> two houses at war. <laughs> it's just, oh, so you're just describing Romeo and Juliet. No, 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 far from it. It's... Now it's like, oh yeah, this is a thing that Andrew Lloyd Webber does. Where yes. he says, no, it's definitely not a sequel. But you're describing a sequel, dude. Um, so what you may not remember from the first episode that where we covered Phantom of the Opera is that the, the music is all Sir Andy. The lyrics are... It's a bunch of different people who like hopped in and out of the project, stuff like that. So there's no there's no real like central phantom team to reprise except for Andrew Lloyd Webber. Okay. So he starts playing around with it and he, you know, occasionally will reach out to other people to collaborate or to be lyricists or something like that. One of those people is Frederick Forsyth. Have you ever heard that name before? 
It sounds familiar, but then again, the last name Forsyth feels like, oh, you know, I'm probably talking about a lord from, you know, 1932 in England. Yeah, got it in one. I don't think he's a lord, um, but he's a very rich English man. Uh, Frederick Forsyth yeah. is a novelist. He is best known for The Day of the Jackal. And basically he does oh. like a bunch of um, spy crime, like Robert Ludlum type books. Um He's like, you know, an, an airport thriller guy. And yeah. uh, when you say by crime, do you mean like it uh, happens <laughs> once every two weeks or... Twice a know, week, yes. Once, twice a week. Uh, and I love that it's also dating men and women. So, you know, yeah. by representation. So he reaches out to Frederick Forsyth and says, basically, I'd like you to write the story for the sequel. And here are the things that I would like to see in it. Ba, 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 ba. And Frederick Forsyth writes the book and he comes to him at, like an, an actual book, not the book of a musical, an actual book, mm. um, which would later okay. be published under the title Phantom of Manhattan. So, you know, mm -hmm. he wants to see the Phantom in Manhattan. He wants to see Phantom and Christine back together. He wants there to be a kid, that sort of thing. All of these, these big ideas that do come out in the final product. Um, so Frederick Forsyth delivers the book and Andrew Lloyd Webber looks at it and goes, mm-hmm, that's definitely what I asked you for. I can't complain oh, about no. that. So this book was later published. Um, you can read it. There are a lot of things that, um, overlap with Love Never Dies. There, it is generally not considered a very good book. I have not read it, um, <laughs> mainly because I like to hear other people summarize it more than I have any interest in reading it. So, for example, in the original novel of Phantom of the Opera, there's this guy called the Persian, who's like the Phantom's fixer. He gets written out of a bunch of adaptations. And in The Phantom of Manhattan, Frederick Forsyth says, I'm going to bring back the Persian um, but somehow, despite this being 1999, I'm going to make it more racist than Gaston LaRue. What? So, uh, Darius, he gives him a name, is the Persian. Oh, that's nice. Uh, previously a runaway, ended up a pleasure boy in a house of sodomy, and he worships the god Mammon. The god of money. Later on, Jesus shows up. To defeat Mammon. What? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, when what I say this, it like that, it makes it sound like Gundams. <laughs> yeah. Um, the basic plot is the same. Like, Hammerstein hires Christine Daae to come to Brooklyn to sing in his opera there. Um, originally, the Phantom was going to be living in the only the first penthouse in New York, which I think is a cool idea. It's like kind of Batman Beyond feeling. Um, and the Phantom has set up this sideshow and things like that. Uh, other than that, it doesn't have a ton in common. Apparently a lot of fans of Phantom of the Opera do not like this book. I can't imagine hmm. why. Hmm, I wonder why. Yes. So, Sir Andrew Lloyd Webber says, I'm not going to use this. He uh, then approaches the lyricist Glenn Slater uh, to join him, and Slater's initial thought was, it just sounded like a terrible idea. 
Okay. <laughs> Thanks for being honest. Now, are you aware of digital pianos? I'm assuming that a digital piano is not the same as, like, a synthesizer or a keyboard. So one of the things that you can do on digital pianos is play on it and it'll record you. Like, it'll keep track. So if you are, for instance, you know, trying to work out a tune, you don't have to stop and then write it down. That sort of thing. Uh, so Sir Andrew Lloyd Webber had... <laughs> in 2006 or so... <laughs> He had the entire score for Love Never Dies on his piano. Okay. <laughs> and then his cat walked on the piano and deleted the whole thing. <laughs> uh, <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> Sir Andrew coming up to the pl to the playhouse to see the producers and going, I'm, I'm terribly sorry, but my cat my cat deleted all of the music. The cat's name is Otto. Otto was a hero amongst the workers. We should praise him for performing oh. <laughs> That cat is definitely going to the heavy side layer. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah. so he was not able to recover any of his recordings, but he's like, I think I remember enough of it and recreated it. Um, to which I say, did you really, did you really? Um, there is no one definitive version of Love Never Dies. There are a bunch of different versions. So basically when they started producing it, it's very common for um, a show to have like out of town openings, you know, it's sort of like a soft opening to help you workshop it and go, okay, once we're in front of a crowd, we figured out this is really not working. We need to move this song to act two. We need to cut the first part, yada, yada. Okay. That's supposed to stop at some point. Oh. <laughs> Love Never Dies does not really have a finished version. What we watched is um, the, the performance at the Sydney Opera House, um, which is a version. Um, and it's kind of because it's the recorded one, it's kind of considered a definitive one, but no the definitive one. Love Never Dies has never been on Broadway. It has been in Toronto and Australia and London and... Um, a bunch of places like that. Uh, I think it was in Vegas for a while. But yeah, th this thing is basically not done and there is not the money there to demand that people keep working on it. So like, if you see a staging of Love Never Dies near you, go to it because you're not going to see it very often again. That's, that's such an odd thing, right? I mm -hmm. know... Like, at what point do you say that a work is done, is finished, right? I, I, mm -hmm. In the case of something like a novel, well, I released it. Yeah. I guess it's done, right? Um, and then, but I know that there are some artists and visual artists who do consider like, oh, my work's not 
done done like I can always come mm-hmm. back and add more or take more or whatever in terms of like a, a painting or a sculpture or whatever but um, in terms of like theater that's that's weird very weird um the london production ran for less than 18 months i'll keep in i'll keep you in mind like the london production (laughs) of phantom of the opera was so so groundbreaking that they were like we would like to break some rules in terms of who's allowed to act on stage to be able to bring this production to america because you have to have a certain number of american actors in american production it's a whole thing um So what we see in front of us is basically the best version that Sir Andrew Lloyd Webber, the really useful group, and co. think that they want to commit to history. I like that the really useful group also sounds like a made-up company. Like, what do they do? Oh, they're, they're really, they're really useful. I always thought it was just funny because it's a theater company, but do you know why it has that name? Why? It's because Sir Andrew Lloyd Webber is such a Thomas the Tank Engine fan. He's a really useful engine. Really useful engine. Oh my god. Yeah. Yeah, and and that absolutely tracks with the the Midnight Express, Starlight Express, whatever. Yes. Of it all. Uh, I want to uh, to read you a quote from Andrew Lloyd Webber on the London production. Uh, he stated that although he was very, very proud of the London production, it did not completely work. And also said, something just went slightly wrong. I had cancer just before that production, and it was just that crucial 5% off beam. And I would say 5% is very generous. Mm-hmm. Um... And then we arrive (laughs) at Love Never Dies itself. So shall we get into the show? Oh boy, let's get into this show. (laughs) Again, I I will, I'm trying to come at this at least with some degree of, you know what, maybe there's something here. Mm -hmm. So... We don't even get right into the play. We get into like a, a several title cards beforehand. Think of it, Paris, eighteen ninety-five. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, they also changed the original setting. Uh, they moved the. I think the original show is supposed to take place in eighteen eighty-eight, and they decided to jump into the future i i'm not quite sure why the movie did this too but i think the movie did it for styling reasons i don't know why love never dies did it it's more romantic right turn of the century is romance right yeah fantasy yeah it would have been like yeah we're we're two years away from the turn of the century is nowhere near as cool as ah we've been through the turn of the century extra extra 1998 yeah, 1998 was not as cool as 2005. Yeah. Yeah, l- listen to that. 2005, 1998. Anyway, Paris, 1895. A mysterious fire consumed the opera populaire. A mob rampaged through the theater's twisted catacombs, baying for the masked man they held responsible. Only his mask was ever found. <laughs> <laughs> 
Bum, bum, bum. No, this, like really, there is a music sting at this point. <laughs> there's a. It's funny too because the the last shot of Phantom of the Opera in the in the show is Meg holding the Phantom's mask, and it's like Andrew Lloyd Webber did not know his own musical, and he was like, "Okay, the show's about Meg. Got it." I remember Meg. She was in the first one. What did yeah. she do? I don't know. She, she can. Sing, She's like maybe. the ninth Fuck lead. It. behind so many other people. Yeah, bring back Carlotta. Carlotta needs to be in the sequel. My God. That's the energy that was missing from this uh, play. Like, I thought about that as I was watching it. I'm like, there's no big bitch woman. I mean, yeah, you've got Madame Giry, but she's like, oh, but I love the Phantom and he's ruined us. Instead, yeah. like there, there needs to be chaos agent Carlotta walking through, going, "No, oh, would you not rather have your precious little ingenue?" Oh, ingenue. Uh, yeah, Madame Giry in the first one is kind of like, "Ooh, I bet she has a secret dominatrix basement," and in this, she's like, she feels like uh, the most proficient McDonald's manager you've ever seen. <laughs> <laughs> Our mysterious ice cream machine in the basement is broken! <laughs> well, we fly in on the Phantom at an organ in the dark and a single spotlight on him. an enormous organ. Yeah. <laughs> he's got the mask, he's got the sadness, he's got the ambiance. And he writes notes on his music sheets as the overture swells. And then he scrunches it up and throws it away. Harumph, look, a real artist. He likes something and then he stops liking it immediately. <laughs> he sings he to a portrait to of sing Christine. About... Um, in in the <laughs> London version, he sang to his real doll of her. Uh, I, I think I prefer the portrait. Yeah, the, the portrait is uh, a lot more romantic if you want us to feel endeared to this character. And boy, howdy, does this musical try to endear us to this character. Yeah, who I will remind you is a serial killer. Yeah, uh, a serial killer and a literal groomer. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we're supposed to think, yeah, he's our hero. Um so he sings about the last 10 years and how he longs for Christine. It's an odd musical part because it's a bit scattershot in its sound. Like, it'll... There'll be, like, a late motif and you're like, oh, okay, we're going to follow this through. And then Andrew Lloyd Webber just went, no, nah, I'm tired of that one. Here's He's going to play something new now. And you go, oh, okay, fine. And then he does it again. And you're like, oh, all right. But I guess he's going through feelings? So that's the weird thing is what? that like an Andrew Lloyd Webber show, if nothing else, should like he he writes really good pop music for the theater. You know, it should be mm -hmm. something easy and catchy and um, you can't get it out of your head. And very few of the songs in this come close to anything like that. Yeah, the the magic that he was able to pull out for a lot of other musicals where, hey, you know, Jesus Christ Superstar, Phantom, Cats, they all had music that crossed over into like, oh, you could probably hear this on the radio, right? Mm-hmm. 
And, and in uh, fact, you did. So they did release Phantom of the Opera as a pop single. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, he's super obsessed with Christine still, and uh, but at least he's a good singer. Hooray. Yeah. I mean, in this version. Yeah, he, he is a good singer in this version. Yeah. I think, I think all of the performers in this are really good. Um, usually they... The, the Phantom and Christine and Raul in this have often are often cast from people who've played it in um, Phantom of the Opera. Yeah. So uh, now there's a creepy circus man singing about Coney Island and a whole bunch of circus performer types uh, are singing about the sights and wonders of the place. And this is where I went, oh... Sir Andrew has seen a Tim Burton film. Yep. And he said, I can do that too. It's not that hard, right? You just dress everybody in stripes. Yeah, stripes. Make it a little creepy. Yeah. Maybe um, some weird hair. <laughs> he, he saw Batman Returns and he said, got it. <laughs> Figured it out. Um, I'm going to refer, and I have referred, uh, I've linked it in the show notes, um, there is a Lindsay Ellis video essay on Love Never Dies that uh, was formative for me in understanding this piece. Um, and she refers to these three performers as um, Uncle Fester, Alan Cumming, and God, I can't remember what she refers to the little person as. But uh, it's, it's very funny. That's great. Uh, so, you know, you get to see a whole bunch of different performers um stilt man and lions and acrobats exotic girl fire eaters muscle men contortionists intrigue danger and romance electric lights machinery and all that electricity so exciting the audience will stop in fear so delighting it will run for 50 years um i will point out too that uh the phantom's backstory was that he was in a freak show and he was rescued by it from rescued from it by madame Giry. Um, but he, he does not have an issue creating his own freak show. Well, you, you know how it is, right? You, you repeat the same cycles of abuse or freak showness. Yeah, exactly. We freak show yeah. because our parents mm. freak showed. <laughs> oh, I can say that because my father was a freak show. Thank you. <laughs> uh, so yeah, this whole thing, it's, it's super spectacular. And when I say spectacular, I mean like it's a spectacle. It's got a huge it's, cast. Huge cast. But it also feels incredibly shallow. Like mm-hmm. none of these people matter. These are not these are not actors, these are not characters. These are set dressing that can move. Yes, exactly. So uh turns out Meg's here. Hi. Hi, welcome. (laughs) (laughs) And she gets a song with a whole bunch of backup performers. Yes, they're still singing about what's in the circus. So many things happen in a circus. And Meg is definitely part of it. Yeah, she says, all eyes on me at the center of the ring. Circus. Mm Mm-hmm. Madame Giry is here as well. Hey, good for you, girl. Uh... And what a downgrade. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you know how Madame Giry was, like, (laughs) mysterious and had a bunch of secrets that nobody knew in the first one? 
Yeah. Not so much here. Nope. She was all, I'm going to keep everything to the chest in the first one. And in the second one, she's like, I've been through shit. You can know whatever you want. Just uh, sing at me a little bit and I'll spill it. Yeah. Uh, if you guys don't remember or don't feel like revisiting the movie, which, you know, right on. Fine, um, fair. Miranda Richardson with a high, high top knot plays her. So just imagine that kind of energy and then imagine it gone. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and like you said, uh, she is the manager of a McDonald's. Yes. So uh, because she... Madame Giri runs this place with Meg, apparently. They yeah. have come over from France. <laughs> who runs the world? Eh, you know, girls do. But who runs this circus? Madame Giri, well, she really doesn't. It's, it's really the phantom working through her, I guess. Yeah. Oh. So she tells Meg that Christine has left Paris and that she's going to come here to Coney Island. Wowie zowie. And Madame Giri wants her to stay away because it turns out that she helped smuggle Eric the Phantom. I'm just going to call him Eric. Yeah. I wrote Eric a lot here because Phantom was too many letters. Out of Paris, and she set him up in this new life here in Coney Island where she was like, yeah, I'll help you set up a new life, and then you can control me. I yeah, we, we find out much, much, much later, like some would say too late in the story, that Madame Giri thinks that she and Meg are going to inherit the Phantom's wealth because, of course, he's ridiculously wealthy because he's a genius and perfect at everything that he does. Madame Giri mm -hmm. is like the yeah. same age as the Phantom, plus or minus 10 years. Um, and also, we see one interaction between the Giris and the Phantom, and that's at the very, very end of the show. So, not only are mm -hmm. we not aware of any relationship that may exist. People talk about it. We never actually see it. Um, we're never given any reason why either of them think that they are set to inherit from Eric. Yeah, I, I could definitely have seen from the first play into this one that there's a, a sort of unrequited love mm -hmm. of Madame Giri towards the, the Phantom because she does believe that he is a genius. She says so in the first one. She says so here and whatnot but this i this brand new idea of like oh and i'm definitely inheriting everything when he dies because you know that's gonna happen real soon and then you and i meg will be set for life it's like, girl he's like your age and yeah. how much life are you gonna have after that it is 1905 a famous time when people did not live great long times. Yeah, he is also a serial murderer who has never expressed any affection for you. Yeah, not exactly. Um, yeah, it, it's not. It, it's not even one of the cases of, oh yeah, he does treat me bad every once in a while. But when he's good, he's really good, and you know, he he loves me so much. It's the whole time has been like, yeah, he just treats me like shit. Yeah. But I love him. <laughs> and He's speaking of that, it's time to introduce Christine. <laughs> yep. Uh, God. So we're at the docks as a bunch of passengers come off of a ship from Paris. And the press are swarming. They're waiting to, uh, to see Christine. And there are some real thick 
I and I have it spelled out phonetically. New York accents. New yeah. being N-O-O. Because York this, being Y-A-W-K. Because this was the Australian production. Um, I have to think that most of these actors were, in fact, Australian. And who boy, they are... They are fresh off of their ninth watching of Newsies, and they know everything they'll ever need to know. (laughs) That that reminds me of, in high school, my final year of high school, we Mm -hmm. did My Fair Lady. Mm -hmm. Love My Fair Lady. I I really do love My Fair Lady. It's a great fucking musical. For me, at least. Um, And so, this is, we're in Colorado. That's where my last high school was. And so I said to the teacher uh, running it, I was like, well... My mom's English. My whole family, we're English. Would you like my mom to come in and help anybody with their accents? And my teacher's like, yes. Oh, that would be great You know, to actually get an English person mm-hmm. to show us how to properly say things. Right? And I was like, oh, that, you know, that's great. And I'd run it by my mom as well. And you know, I wasn't springing this on her. And so, you know, most of the cast who had larger parts went and, you know, spoke to her to figure out how do I say these words right. The guy playing Freddy was like, nope, I got it. I know how to do it. Freddy talks a lot. (laughs) Freddy talks a lot. Uh, And so we're all like, It's a good thing that this musical doesn't have a lot of emphasis on the exact way that people talk. (laughs) Jesus Christ. (laughs) And we're just like, all right, fine, whatever. And, you know, I'm a teenager. What am I going to say? To the the star of the show. I'm only, like, yeah. a member of the chorus. So, opening night. We're on stage. All right, we've just performed, I think, Wouldn't It Be Lovely. That's my Lovely. favorite song Great. from uh, from My Fair Lady. I That just song oh, makes me feel warm in my heart. It's so it's so nice. And on top of it, uh, I, I was jokingly referred to as uh, Understudy 3 for Eliza. Because... <laughs> <laughs> I, I like every once in a while while we're practicing, you know, because we have to play the music and we're just doing the chorus at the moment. So everybody just be silent while we play through the music. And so uh, at one point, I quietly in the back of back of the room went, "All I want is a room somewhere." <laughs> and everybody loved it. It was funny, and the teacher was, "Yeah, oh yeah, here's understudy three for Eliza." So yeah, great stuff. <laughs> anyway. Uh, we get through the number. Freddie comes out onto the scene, and you know he's talking to his mother. And I'll never forget this. He says to her, <clears throat> "The line, sorry, let, let me. This is how the line should sound." Okay. Wait there, mother. I'll call you a taxi. Mm-hmm. What Freddie? decided is the appropriate way to pronounce that line was wait there mother i'll call you a toxy <laughs> he uh, heard they pronounced their a's as o's and he went got it i white knuckled my way <laughs> through the rest of this scene going jesus christ what was that i felt so ashamed that this had happened. I and of love course, Britney Spears' co- hit song, Toxie. <laughs> Toxie. Oh my god. And I, I, I couldn't bring it up because yeah. he's a star. He's one of the stars of the show. What do, I'm just a chorus guy. I really should have just like, 
Hey, bug, that's not how you pronounce ta- taxi. It's taxi. You were the Christine Daae of that, uh, <laughs> my fair lady. God. Yeah, uh, the, the other funny thing that happened from that is, uh, like, I, I had written my mom's number up on the the the, uh, the chalkboard in the back so that if somebody did forget how to pronounce something, they could call her up and say, how do I pronounce this again? Mm-hmm. And the next day, my mom, you know, because it was the weekend, she was like, Sam... Is the word pineapple said at any point during my fire lady? <laughs> I said, no. She says, well, that's strange. Someone called me to ask. <laughs> it's pronounced anana. <laughs> anana. <laughs> oh, school, les squelettes. Our Canadian listeners will understand that one. <laughs> Why? Why is this pineapple wearing lipstick? Oh. <laughs> Anyway, anyway, yeah, real New York accents. We got some uh, exposition to get out here, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, she's come all the way from Paris. We heard you lost all your money on a gambling table. Yeah, and you've got a ten-year-old son. (laughs) Interesting how that fire fire happened ten years ago. (laughs) Almost as if... I wonder if this will be a plot point. <laughs> anyway, Raul is there keeping her and her son, her 10-year-old son, Gustav, safe. My God, why would you call him Gustav? Also, why would you write a, a role for a 10-year-old in this very adult musical that requires him to be on stage, I'd say like 70% of the time? That's a lot of work for a kid. Well, this kid did it. I, I think this kid's great. Right? Yeah. He's, it could have been so much worse. And I, you know that this is an Australian kid as well. So this kid fighting through an Australian accent into an English accent, good for him. Yeah, he's fighting off crocodiles every step. Crikey, I mean, oh, core blimey. <laughs> core blimey. I'm from Paris, core blimey. Oi, mate, you me well, dad. You know how it works. All yeah. old-time accents are just English accents. Yeah, if I went or to ancient heavy... Rome, I'd be able to understand them all. They all sound like they went to Rada. Yeah, yeah, you know. Look, there's... There's Peter Cushing. Great. Yeah. Clearly English. Anyway, um... They're now poor because Raul gambled all of his money away. So she has to work to keep them in the life they become accustomed to. Because I cannot emphasize this enough, Sarah Brightman made the wrong choice and Christine has to be punished. Yeah, take that, Christine, you damn dirty hussy. Uh, Gustav wants to see Coney Island, of all places. Hmm, what are the odds? Coney Island, where mayhaps a mysterious man waits in the shadows. Suddenly, a magic spooky black carriage without horses shows up. And the circus folk come out saying it does look work dope as hell. Group. I do think this carriage looks really cool. It's it's so cool, right? When yep. when this play gets something right, you go like, yes, more of this, please. Yeah, and it's then, got like, like these idiot. big curlicue wheels and stuff. Like it looks like Cinderella's coach, but goth. Goth. Like it's it, oh, it's just every once in a while he flies so close to something good, only to go. Well, never mind. Yeah. Here's 
Christine getting punished again. Anyway, the, the circus folk say that they work for Christine's new boss, Mr. Hammerstein. Hammerstein. I can't remember which one it is. Frankenstein. Uh, is, this supposed, is this supposed to be a reference to the Hammerstein? Yeah, he was a real guy in business um, at in New York at the time. Um, the more famous one, Oscar Hammerstein II, who worked with Richard Rogers, uh, is his son. Oh, okay. All right. Cool. Learn something. Look at us teaching you. Exactly. This, this podcast Goose- is tax deductible. Now give us your money. Gustav briefly says that his mind is always filled with music. Huh. Huh. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I just want to say real quick here um, that the actress who plays Christine Anna O'Byrne in this production, she's... She's quite a good Christine. I think she doesn't have a ton to work with again. Um, and also 10 out of 10 smoke show. Oh my God. Oh, she's gorgeous. She is incredible looking. Mm-hmm. Like uh, I made the note of when she, when she enters, she's in full on like Rose from Titanic gear. Exactly. And she makes it She's work. got a big hat. It, she's got like cinched waist. It doesn't and, feel... Oh. Like, oh, I've seen this done better. It was, no, no. Fuck yeah, girl. You you look, like, stunning. Yeah. Good she for you. She looks like, like an old-fashioned girl on a box of chocolates. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I so, get that Laura Secord pussy. <laughs> I don't know why I said that. <laughs> I apologize. You're so filthy, Sarah. Your mother <laughs> I, listens I think to I this gave occasionally. I permission to start referring to female genitalia on this show. <laughs> and I haven't been able to stop. The floodgates opened. <laughs> <laughs> we need to hire a bunch of beavers to dam this thing up. Oh, shit. Beavers, yeah, no, we do. Say, no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh. So at this point, Eric reprises Angel of Music a bit, mm-hmm. and um, I get it. I get why th- there's there's going to be a lot of musical references to previous songs from Phantom, and I understand why you would do this to constantly be like, "Hey, remember this is a sequel to Phantom," but this is a musical with far weaker music where you're referencing far stronger music. <laughs> yes, and every time the stronger music comes up, which if you're seeing Love Never Dies, you are going to be very, very familiar with Phantom of the Opera music. You go, oh, I love... Oh. Yeah. Just just don't, right? There's there's like a, a, a kind of unwritten rule in, in a lot of things where you don't... You try not to reference the distinguished competition as often as you can. Mm -hmm. So you never see in Marvel, like, Spider-Man reading a Batman comic going like, this guy fucking sucks, right? (laughs) Uh, You you try not to... Like, WWE, they try not to reference their competitors ever. Mm -hmm. Uh, Meanwhile, AEW will not stop referencing WWE sometimes, (laughs) where it's just like... If you're the underdog, it only benefits you, right? But the problem is when you're saying we're better than those guys, and then some of those people might say, "Oh, what are those guys doing? Let me check it out." Mm. It's it's just I I don't think it's smart business practice that if you're trying to set yourself apart from something, if you're trying to say love never dies works on its own, like yeah, this is just as strong as the previous one. Sitting down and putting in 
amazing musical score from a previous thing into this. Eh, not sure it's doing the things that you want it to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But anyway, uh, Raul walking around saying how much he hates America and the people. Psst, guess what? Raul's not going to come off any good at all in this. No. Remember when he was uh, he was fine with having himself killed to save Christine in the first one? Uh, that's that's not going to happen. Yeah, Raul died b- between these, and this is a uh, an unfortunate clone of Raul. Uh, this, so. this is the Thursday Next problem where they accidentally got a fanfic Raul covering for the real Raul. Oh, yeah. Yeah, this one loves punching and drinking and abusing yeah. his wife. Hates his kid, fortunately enough. Hate. Uh, fucking hates that kid. <laughs> he hates this kid. Kid literally says, like, Mom, why doesn't Dad love me? And the mom's like, Mommy doesn't have very good taste in men. <laughs> but just trust your heart, honey. Um, yeah. it, it'll never lie to you. Ever. Ever. Anyway, yeah, Raul hates America and people because uh, he's old world rich and, you know, the new world is new world stuff. Mm-hmm. So he's bleh. And also and they Gustav, think that they've been called here by Hammerstein and Hammerstein hasn't shown up to greet them, which is kind of rude. Yeah, that is super rude, actually. Uh, Gustav begins playing some music he finds on a piano in their nice apartment that they've been put up in. And uh, piano, it clearly upsets Christine. Musical ability is a hereditary trait. Yep, that's why all of my children have such large arms. (laughs) Never mind the fact that his mother is a musical genius as well. Yeah, it's got nothing... It's paternal, not maternal. That's how musical DNA works. Yeah, it's not in the mitochondrial DNA. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, he wasn't... Like, uh, born into the world by, by the power of the Force and midi-chlorians. <laughs> we looked at his DNA, and it looks like instead of a double helix, it's just a bar staff? <laughs> That's so weird. All these little dots are arranged on his, on his DNA. And <laughs> if I play it out, it... <laughs> Jesus. His heart's uh... beating in three-quarter time? <laughs> I mean, I, I'm very wor- worried about this child now. <laughs> He's got a His heart hand murmur keeps and off. several chromosome issues. His hand keeps melting off. It's weird. <laughs> oh, no. Um, so Christine in, in private does say that she is the sole breadwinner now. And they're there so that she can earn money to keep the family going, yada, yada, yada. Now, uh, Gustav has also found a spooky toy that plays music, and oh no, this also upsets mom and dad. I wonder why. Maybe the spooky toy is A, spooky, and B, playing music that is deeply entrenched in trauma with these two. Yeah. Men would literally go to Coney Island instead of going to therapy. (laughs) They'll do anything other than therapy. So Raoul gets a letter from Hammerstein to meet him alone in a bar. So off he angrily goes. I shouldn't have to say angrily goes, but I'm going to because um, that's all he does. He has one mode, angry. 
And uh, so Gustav gets to have a little number where he sings about how much daddy hates him. (laughs) Guys, that sounds (laughs) like a joke. It is not. It's not a joke. And Christine tries so hard to console him. But he's absolutely right. His father fucking hates him. But also Christine, of all people, telling him, listen, sometimes people love you so much that they have to be mean to you. And we're like, oh, so (laughs) this is the cycle of trauma. Oh, no, Christine. God, people will live in the early 1900s rather than go to therapy. (laughs) Oh, God. She sings about how the heart can see the truth and how love is blah, 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 blah. Love, heart, truth, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. This For is bad this, advice, Christine. See, uh, there's a much better version of this um, in the musical Carousel, which is has has a terrible message, but is better is better expressed. Yeah, some, sometimes that works. Uh, in this case, it certainly does not. But, the uh, carousel literally has the has the line. Sometimes a slap feels like a kiss. Oh Jesus! Yeah. I mean, may, maybe they're into that. Maybe the secret subtext of carousel is that it's about BDSM. It's really not. I hate to break it to you. It's really not. Shit, it is fuck. a beautiful, no. beautiful series of music with a horrible message. God. Oh, that's unfortunate. Can we retool it to be about BDSM? Let's do it. You and me. Let's do it. We'll be back next week with our sequel to Carousel called BDSM Never Dies. (laughs) A tunnel of love smacks. (laughs) If you see a faded sign at the side of the road that says 15 miles to the love Love smacks. We are barely into this show. (laughs) I know. She sends Gustav to bed when suddenly the window mirror thing in the apartment bursts open and Eric comes through and she faints. Well, at least we aren't dragging this art. It's horrible. It is missing all of the lead up of Phantom of the Opera. It doesn't feel dramatic. It doesn't feel exciting. It's just, it's, it's a, it's a smash cut. It is a theatrical smash cut. The, the theatricality of... Like, not seeing the Phantom, and ooh, isn't he mysterious, and ah, we see glimpses of him, and mysterious smoke, and only his voice, yada, yada, yada. And I get that this is the sequel, and we all know that the Phantom exists, and that he does all this, yada, yada, yada. But then Andrew Lloyd Webber makes the weird decision of, what if Phantom was just in most of this? Yeah. (laughs) What What if if we saw the shark all the time? Yeah, we're going to reshoot Jaws from the shark. And yeah. we'll occasionally hear Roy Scheider in the background. This is literally... This is literally Jaws. The shark made a few good points. I mean, the shark did make a few good points. We you are into trespassing his on his. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. I, I'm all for shark and orcas rising up against us. Please rise up against us, Orca. Free us from our chains. Please let me do whatever I can to aid you in your overthrowing of humans. Yeah. Uh, I welcome the uh, the Orca overlords. We could retool all human religions to worship the Orca. Mm-hmm. Anywho. 
uh, yeah, he he comes in with zero aplomb and theatricality. She faints. He puts her up onto uh, a chair, and then she wakes back up, and she's all angry. Grr. And she's all, fuck you. It was one night that we had together. And he's like, yes, and it changed everything in, in not me. And you're here again. You can't deny that. It's like, listen, just because I slept with you once, just because we meet at a Cracker Barrel doesn't mean it's destiny. Um, yeah, because this is the moment where we find out. So again, for those of you who don't know, the end of Phantom of the Opera has Raoul and Christine leaving the Phantom in his underground lair and never to be seen again. <laughs> but what Love Never Dies presupposes is what if she snuck back and Raoul didn't notice and they fucked? Yeah. Yeah. Or at least at least we have the knowledge that what she did is consensual. Mm-hmm. as opposed to the many times that she had passed out or he had drugged her and it wasn't consensual. So I'm happy with that part. I am going to read a a YouTube oh. comment. I know, I know, but bear with me. Um, on the aforementioned Lindsay Ellis video that I think of every time I think of this number beneath a moonless sky. Uh, this is from at Ann Fox. Love the fact that Eric... Uh, brackets, so touch-starved that he died from a forehead kiss, brackets, is apparently so gifted that on his first night, my dude was clapping cheeks, clapping cheeks to a tempo of 120 BPM. That WAP's got power. (laughs) (laughs) Because it's very important that you know in this song that goes on for fucking forever that they fucked multiple times that night. (laughs) <laughs> All right, and you know what? That's the miracle of birth. It only <laughs> yeah. So she went back to him. They fucked all night, and then she left again with Raúl, who apparently had been like standing outside tapping his watch <laughs> angrily. Yeah. Oh, oh, yeah. And never mind the fact that a mob had been going through his caves at that time. Yeah, yeah, Raul just standing there like, I really wanted to join in on this mob, but you made me fucking wait here. All my friends are mobbing right now. I can't believe I'm holding what your we- purse while you're off fucking the what- phantom. What were you even doing down there for 45 minutes? <laughs> yeah, Beneath the Moonless Sky, which I think is supposed to be, like, very, very sexy, but I, I just feel like every time it just, it feels like a dirge. Yeah. So yeah, uh, they had they had that night. It turns out after they fucked, he up and left her. Like he literally disappeared, <laughs> and uh, she's upset that she got left. Had to do the walk of shame back to Raoul, and they've both been upset and obsessed with each other for ten years. Ten years, you say? Ten years, you say? <laughs> so. The Phantom offers her to double her fee to uh, of what Hammerstein is offering to perform one song for him on one night. And that's it, right? This isn't a tour. This isn't a string of performances. It's literally like, oh, Hammerstein Stein wants to give you... They, they never say the money, but let's say you know $10,000 to perform for X amount of weeks. How about twenty grand to perform one song once? 
That's a pretty this, good deal. This is a pretty good deal, especially considering in the initial uh, show, his offer was no money and you be my music slave forever. Yeah. 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 I don't see any downside in this whatsoever because remember, he's not actually magic. Or is he? Ooh. Or is he? Ooh. But then uh, Chekhov's 10-year-old child has to wake up from a nightmare. Yeah, yeah. He comes in and uh, the Phantom's all like, Hey, kid, you want to see some cool shit? Turns out, while I am a serial killer, masked spooky man who loves to live in basements, I love kids. I'm like a cool <laughs> uncle. And hey, even like, Hitler what? had a dog, you know? Andrew. Andrew, you keep <laughs> kneecapping this mysterious figure of malice and dread into cool uncle. But cool uncle no. who, when the kid disappears, he also says to Christine, oh, by the way, I will kill your child unless you do what I tell you to. Yeah. Yeah, well, to, to her, it's, it's fine to threaten her and be all sp oh, yeah. spooky and mean and evil to her. But a kid, a kid is too far listen i'm fine with the serial killing but i draw the line at threatening a child you're fine with serial you're killing? fine with serial killing <laughs> so she sends him to bed again because you know he only needed to be here to do this and eric says hey buddy i'll show you some cool shit tomorrow if you want to hang out and gustav's like hell yeah hanging out with cool new spooky mask man uncle Great. So now yeah. Christine and Eric are angry at each other again, but uh, she contemplates performing a song he's written for a lot of money, and Eric leaves out the window. Whoosh. Raul shows back up, upset that Hammerstein never showed up. And at this point, I was like, is, is Eric also pretending to be Hammerstein? Is that what this plot... Nope, don't worry about that. That would be a because, fun alternate uh, history. Yeah, that, that, that would have been a cool thing. I would have been like, oh, this is interesting. A uh, cool wrinkle in, in the... No, no. He's just... We mention Hammerstein. That's all you get. <laughs> so now we go to Meg, who is practicing a very silly number about bathing beauties. But while it is silly, I will say, this is very period appropriate. Yes. Um, a lot of people hate this song. And it's going to be reprised later. Um, I I think it's kind of good. I think it's kind of fun. It's it's very silly. It it doesn't have any job being in the show that it's in. Um, but you know, at least at least somebody remembers that we like to see a song and dance. You know. Yeah, I I just want a little bit of fun, and but this fun feels wrong I, it's it's right and it's wrong all at the same time and it's so strange that it does that right you're you're getting the period appropriate place appropriate it's in new york it's on coding island of course somebody would be doing a musical num number like this in in the text of the world but within the text of the musical that the world exists in this is a, a thumb that has been slammed so many times in all kinds of doors it is beyond sore now we also have to remember that in the context of this world, the Phantom writes all the music, so he wrote Bathing Beauties. Oh, yeah. What? <laughs> this musical <laughs> genius sitting yeah. down at the piano going, 
Ah, Bathing beauties. beauties by the beach. Do, 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 do. I can, I can see him being so proud of himself. I don't feel like being spooky today. <laughs> sometimes, uh, sometimes George just feel like looking pretty. So Christine and company show up and Meg and Christine reunite and Raul and Madame Giri reunite. And this, this number and the blocking of it, I think, are very successful. I think it's a good number. It's a shame my brain cannot latch on to how it sounds again. But I liked the way it looked and it felt as it was happening. Um, because yeah, it's, it's dynamic. I think... Now, I, I have watched this show a couple times. Um, I find this really grates on me, despite it being, like, the patter song, which normally I quite like. Um, because, again, I think that this goes on way, way, way too long. But at its, at its roots... Yeah, it's fine. Yeah, it's it, it's interesting because it'll be like, okay, here's Christine and Madame Giri talking. And over here is Meg and Raoul talking. But they're talking about specific problems. And then the four of them will kind of trade partners. Mm-hmm. So now you've got two new pairings. And they'll talk about their problems again. But when they come back to four, they're all, oh, everything's happy. And aren't we glad we're back together? And then they go off into pairs again and go, I'm so fucking miserable. Oh, everything's happy. And isn't it grand to be back together? New pairing, fucking miserable. So I also yeah, like it, this is when um, Raul realizes that, um, surprise, surprise, the Phantom is in this show. <laughs> Because he was unaware up until this point. And because uh, he says to Madame Giri with shock, you work for him. And she says, now you do too. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's very clear that Raul is a raging alcoholic now because he keeps singing about, I want a drink. No, I want a stiffer drink. I would like more drinks, please. More drinks. And this kind of becomes his note. Yeah. Christine uh. runs off, and somehow Gustav has been lured away by the circus folk to Eric's spooky realm. TM, TM, TM. He meets Eric again, and he begins to play the piano. And suddenly Eric is all, What? A child who can play piano? He's exactly like me. And he's, what? Ten? Ten. Almost as if dot dot dot. Yes, we get it clearly. The kid is it, like it, it's it, he's Phantom Boy, right? Yeah, <laughs> he just is. <laughs> I, I, this this plot is so drawn out. It'd be better if there was a like. Is it Raoul's child? Is it the Phantom's child? Oh, we just can't know. But the musical has no interest in even trying to make it seem like it's Raoul's child. Mm-hmm. So we're all sitting there going, okay, yeah, we, we know. Can we, can we get to it? Instead of, oh, I could see it going either way. Who could it be? Yeah. Yeah, there, there would be some dramatic interest there where it's like maybe Christine has to consider who does she want the father to be, that sort of thing. No, no. I, I, yeah. And this show, again, once... Various characters realize that the Phantom is Gustav's father. Are like, 
Well, he sounds great to be a father. Let's put this ten-year-old child with him immediately. So, Eric begins to sing a cool rock song about, (laughs) Hey, do you really like dope music and creepy things? I get you. You're just like me. And there's all these circus folk going around and mirror sets and spooky skeleton puppets. And Gustav is all, Hey, do you think of all these things all the time too? (laughs) Is this your hyperfixation? The beauty (laughs) underneath. This is the big thing that I had to hold myself back from talking to you about. I think this is the best song in the musical. I think it's really good. It's got this awesome guitar in it. Um, It's kind of catchy. It's fun to sing along to. It's visually interesting too. Yeah. There's like all these people in glass cages and the lighting's changing. So sometimes they're opaque and sometimes you can see through and they're like, swirling around the phantom and gustav yeah visually dynamic uh uh auditorily dynamic you know that this is the kind of energy that i was expecting the whole musical to have and instead it's just here but there is a subtext to this song that i find very uncomfortable. Not the subtext of, oh, it's like two goth kids meeting for the first time in high school and figuring out, hey, there's more than just me in the world. You mean the subtext of, oh, is is he doing the thing he did to Christine again? Yeah, so what I want you to keep in mind, audience, is that Basically, this song is a series of questions that the Phantom is posing to Gustav, and Gustav keeps enthusiastically replying, yes. Uh, So, such lines as, have you let it draw you in past the place where dreams begin? Yes. Felt the full breathless pull of the beauty underneath? Yes. It it is a song, uh, say son, have you ever had yearnings? Strange yearnings? You ever seen a grown man naked? You ever been to a Turkish prison? And Gustav, every time, says, Yes! It's... This show came out in 2010. (laughs) They they knew what this sounds like. Everybody who watches this knows what it sounds like. And they're like, yeah, this song rips. It's about a a man introducing his son to uh, being a freak show guy. What's wrong with it? Yeah, yeah. It is yeah. it is unsettlingly horny. Like I say, best song in the show. <laughs> yeah. It's just again, big swings. Good on you for trying, Andrew. But um time and place Maybe this maybe, is um, this is the um, a, have people who you trust thank, who will tell you no. Yeah, like um, I I I like that uh, technically this musical is still not finished. So uh, maybe this is a thing that you could uh, help finish it a bit with. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just 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 in case. 
Yeah. Anyway, the whole song is about uh, the Phantom Saint. So uh, you like uh, goth stuff, huh? You're a you're a little twisted like me. And Gustav says, yeah, yeah, I'm into creepy stuff as well. And the Phantom's like, well, I'll take off my mask. And Gustav says, fuck you, I'm getting out of here. Yeah, that that was the step too far, buddy. The mm-hmm. mask thing. Yeah. Uh, and but he has such a great personality. Yeah. I am thankful, though, that this is not like the movie version where removing the mask was like, oh, that's not so bad. You made it seem yeah. like a big thing. <laughs> Get some aloe on that sunburn. Bit, yeah, th- this one's a bit closer to... Oh, that that shocked me. I wasn't quite prepared for that. Um, yeah, he should have like bones sticking through his skull and through his skull through his scalp and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. He is he is very much supposed to be grotesque. Mm-hmm. Alright, so uh, they uh, they both freak out. Christine and Mega uh, show up somehow. Just I guess they had a GPS tag and goose stuff. <laughs> the kid wanders off a lot, so I can understand why these parents might uh, stick an apple tag inside of his shoes. Yeah, in our version of Love Never Dies, everything's the same, except Gustav is wearing one of those leash backpacks. <laughs> yeah, it's all around the set, and Christine's just, like, pulling the rope, <laughs> wandering back and forth, catching up with him. So, uh, yeah, she... Uh, she sends Gustav home with Meg, and then she decides to confront Eric, and she's just like, oh, fine, yes, that's your kid. Don't say creepy things to him, please. And he goes, oh, okay, all right. Uh, y- you can go. Just uh, promise me you'll never tell this pure child that I, this disgusting chud, am his father. She goes, cool, I was never planning on doing that anyway. Yeah, what about Bye. the last 10 years has said, I want to reintegrate you into my family. Yeah. Uh, but now Eric is, ah, I guess the boy will be my greatest creation ever. And that's not a way you're supposed to think of your child. Anyway. Madame Giry shows up and she's all pissed. She's just like, I put in all this work and we are barely acknowledged. And suddenly this kid shows up from out of nowhere and he wants to give the child the world. Fuck that shit. I'm going to burn this down. And she's going to do some bad stuff. Anyway. And an antagonist has struck Love Never Dies. Finally. Finally an antagonist has showed up. Raul is drowning his sorrow. You know, the other antagonist. But he's more like, just like a... The other asshole. God, this guy. Raul, yeah, Raul this is asshole. why your English teacher has to tell you the difference between a protagonist and a hero. Because you get Raul's every once in a while. Yeah. He waxes about how shitty he is to Christine. Uh-huh, bud. You want to do something about that? And he decides, no. <laughs> why is she even with me? I'm so terrible to her. Well, I guess I'm stuck. And that's his whole song. That's all he does for this song. I'm a shitty dude, but I'm not going to change. Meg shows up and sings about how much she hates it here. And she asks Raoul to take Christine far away. And that if Christine performs, she'll never leave Eric. 
so she fucks off too. Now, this, this, this is a terrible goddamn idea. The Phantom in the first film, play, musical, and mm-hmm. perhaps even the book, Mysterious Man of the Shadows. Ah, he'll only show up when it's truly necessary. Or when you go to his realm. Mm-hmm. While the Phantom just walks into a bar in broad daylight. What the fuck? <sighs> Yeah, he's he's the barkeep now. This reveal gets me every time because I'm always... There is, like, a, I was going to say a human bartender, a non-phantom bartender uh, in there originally. And uh, I do always want to see the switch where the phantom actor comes in. <laughs> but I... <laughs> there is, like, a Looney Tunes-style Raul saying, I'm not afraid of the phantom. The phantom turns around where he's been pretending to be the bartender. And Raul goes, Oh, whoa, whoa, whoa! Yeah, it's... Again, Andrew, you keep kneecapping this mysterious figure by making him infinitely less mysterious. Yeah, there's a, there's dramatic tension in the first one about where is he? What's he seeing? Is he seeing this? Um, I saw it last year on Broadway, and uh, even knowing that he was going to show up at certain points, I'm like, oh, this makes this text even richer, knowing that he is listening to the love of his life confess her love to somebody else, or whatever. Um, and here it's just like, well, the Phantom's here now. Yeah. Yeah. Well, they have a little battle of wills being, uh, you know, I guess tonight Christine will have to choose one of us. And you're like, that's... You know what the problem with Phantom of the Opera was? Christine had too much agency. And in the sequel, we need to fix that by taking more of it away from her. God, if only we could go back to a time where... Women were treated as chattel. Oh, things were simpler back then. Fewer yeah. people arguing for things. So yeah, if uh, then, uh, they, they basically make a bet that Christine does not know that she is the subject of. Yeah, it, and it's not even the bet of, I bet I can turn Christine into a prom queen or pass her off as, <laughs> as a member of the aristocracy. The bet is... I bet she'll stay with me forever and ever and leave you. You're on, buddy. God. My wife, who I just said I treat terribly, will definitely pick me. Yeah. Uh, This is Devil Take the Hindmost. I I think it goes on, again, way too long, but it's, uh, it's kind of fun, I think. Yeah, it, it sounds great, mm-hmm. but uh, again, the, the subject matter of the sounds great, less great. Yeah. So here Eric also drops that maybe Gustav isn't Raoul's son. It's like, no, no, we, we're beyond this point. Stop, stop doing this. This is like if fight. we were in, um, if we were in... I don't know because I don't watch any of the DC movies because uh, I'm that cool. I don't even know TV. Um, I don't know because I don't watch any of the DC movies, but it's like if somebody was thought that they were really clever and kept being like, guys, what if Bruce Wayne and Batman are the same guy in every movie to like a huge laugh line? It's like, we are way past that, dude. 
Mm-hmm. Just no mystery. There's there's no mystery to this film. There's no sense of like ah the spookiness of the phantom and you know isn't he a character of the shadows and instead it's just here's the phantom he's a dad phantoms they're just like us and he's picking up they're just at school (laughs) come on kid oh god i gotta take you to your volleyball practice why do we uh, even this, have volleyball practice? In this photo, we see that the Phantom is trying to pretend to care about Bionicle lore. <laughs> so the Phantom gets really into mix- Minecraft to bond with Gustav. <laughs> yeah. Can't I just, like, mix and match the Bionicle pieces? No, Dad. They all belong to one guy, individually. But they're Legos. Oh, they're not just Legos. Anyway. <laughs> They almost fight Eric and Raul, and then Raul runs off to warn Christine, and the circus folk are back now, and they introduce Meg's swimsuit number. I, again, fun. It's it's nice. It's it's good to see music within the world, because the first musical did that, right? (laughs) The songs, some of the songs being performed were the kind of things that you hear in an opera and whatnot. Great. Except now... We've traded the opera for Coney Island and some ragtime kind of stuff. So it's it's tonal whiplash. Yeah. And, I guess it's supposed uh, to be kind got... of like comic relief too, but it, it's not tremendously comic. And also we know that yeah. Meg is being hideously tortured by the Phantom throughout all of this. Yeah. But she gets to do fun reveals, right? She's wearing yeah. like 17 bathing suits and each yeah, one Yeah, it's like a striptease number. It's a little saucy. Mm-hmm. But uh, super out of place. Meg sees her mother after the performance because she's so excited about it. She's saying, oh my god, I performed so well and Eric has to fall in love with me now because I took off all those bathing suits. And uh, her mother sits her down and she's just, <laughs> absolutely not. He loves Christine and her son, so you and I are fucked. We're basically destitute. We're going to be living out of a cardboard box. You dumb hussy. And, uh, this is also this, the point where there is a there's quite a suggestion that Meg has been doing sex work to support the Phantom and her mother as well. Yeah, yeah, it's it's that just suggested enough without ever really out and out saying anything. I, you definitely get the impression that some weird sex stuff has happened to her. Mm-hmm. Whether it's just the Phantom or sex work or the other circus performers. But uh, she is a broken girl. Yeah. Yeah. Meg sees... Oh, wait. Sorry. Went to the wrong plate. Pleur. Christine gets ready with Gustav to do her one-song performance for lots and lots of money. And Raul shows up, sends Gustav away, and he begs Christine not to go through with the performance. He's like, no, 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 don't. We could... <clears throat> we could uh, hop on a boat and just leave. I bought these tickets. We're, we're good to go. And Christine's like, I'm performing in five minutes. Like, this is a little this is a little late and sudden. What's going on? Oh, n- nothing. But we could totally leave now. Meanwhile, the Phantom watches from inside the mirror. Because, of course, you know, he's still got that cool stage magic shit that he likes to do every once in a while. <coughs> So she sends Raul away while she thinks, 
and Eric shows up to convince her to perform by giving her a big sparkly necklace. Because that's how you manipulate... I mean, that's how you uh, <laughs> woo a woman into doing what you want her to do. Right? You know how when this usually happens in movies, it's because it's like um, a symbol and he's putting a collar on her and that sort of thing? This is another thing that will be continued in our BDSM version. Yep. Um, I, but here it's just like, point, he also, loves her and he bought her a pretty uh, necklace. Yeah. Uh, we also hear a little reprise of Prima Donna. And mm-hmm. you, you hope. You're just like, oh... Wouldn't this be lovely? She's become a prima donna. She's going to reply. Nope, 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 nope. Get that song out of here. And now we cut. Well, I guess cut is the wrong word. Now we stage cut. I don't know. What do you call that? I mean, we're technically watching a a change of scene. We're technically watching a a staged version. But there's a lot of cutting and the cameraman right up in people's faces. Mm-hmm. Well, Gustav is wandering around the dark singing Ooh, a whole bunch because, you know, he's a child and that's how children sing, I guess. Uh, mm-hmm. This allows Eric and Raoul to have a duet of sorts over his ooing. And then Madame Giry shows up to make it a trio and she also sings over the ooing. And Meg shows up to look, almost everyone's here, but she spirits Gustav away. And Madame Jury tells Eric, Hey, I hope all this works out for you, because you and me, we're done. Uh, I'm, I'm good. I don't need to work for you anymore. And that's kind of it for that scene. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, now we see Christine performing her big thing in this lovely set design. I really like this. She's got this peacock green dress on. She's got the big sparkly necklace and the set itself is fanned out behind her like the feathers of a peacock. Never mind the sexual dimorphism problem that we have of, well, you know, male peacocks are the ones who would have this. It's it's pretty. We don't care. Yeah. That trumps trumps biology for a second. I would agree. Um, I also think this is another case where they're like, symbolism, what's that? Um, There's nothing in which any of these characters is anything like a peacock symbolically, but it does look really, really good. It looks really, really good. So she's performing the titular song, Love Never Dies. Oh, and I'm just like, you built up, you called it after this? This was the one that you were going to pin all your hopes on? Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. He sure did. And Raul and Eric are on opposite sides of the stage from each other with her in the middle. Really, really hammering this home. Who's she going to choose? Hmm. Hmm. We don't care. Yeah. After the performance of one song, congrats, girl, you did it. In her dressing room, Eric shows up and they kiss passionately. And then she finds a letter left for Ra- uh, left by Raoul for her. Turns out he's gone. Yeah. He said, you made your choice. And she said, I was unaware I was making a choice. Yeah. Uh, I'm uh, f- fucking off. And I uh, guess you get to deal with the kid and your spooky basement boy. Bye. <laughs> I also assume that at the bottom it said, P.S. 
I'm drinking so goddamn much. <laughs> cool. Uh, now they worry that he's taken Gustav, though, for a brief second. But that doesn't matter because a circus worker shows up and tells that tells them that Madame Giri may have taken Gustav. But that doesn't matter because Madame Giri immediately shows up to say, hey, I definitely haven't taken Gustav. And another performer shows up. And just like, <laughs> why couldn't we just skip to the end of this? We did not need like a, oh, but, 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 but maybe, no. Just get to the, hey, we're pretty sure we just saw Meg leaving with Gustav because Meg's room has been abandoned and trashed. Ooh. Yeah. So they run through all the per circus performers who really aren't helping out despite the fact that they're all employed by Eric. Like, shouldn't he be able to be, hey guys, move out of the way. We're trying to find my kid. And they should yeah. be, oh please yeah, boss, no problem. fire in my path. Yeah, please stop menacingly twirling near me. Yeah, again, uh, I think Andrew Lloyd Webber saw one Tim Burton movie and it was not one of the good ones. No. No. Probably an Alice in Wonderland. Yeah, he probably saw Alice in Wonderland. He's like, that's it. That's what we gotta do. This man yeah, that, that knows was, how to create visuals. A, it, it was a huge hit and we're, now we're gonna get all the Disney movies remade like this. Oh. I'm still so ages. mad that they gave Dumbo to him. I will never watch that movie. But I kind of want to watch it because I'm so mad about it. But I don't want to give them any credit or time in my life. Mm-hmm. Well, anyway. Megan has Gustav. And she's taking him yeah. to the sea so that they can both be drowned to death. You know, like a sane, okay. rational person does. I have to say, this, the set design of this production is much more um, abstract than Phantom mm -hmm. of the Opera. So when, when they're on this pier, it's basically just like, um, like a little footbridge lowered down, right? And there's like smoke around them that's supposed to be the water. Um, anyway, the first multiple times that I watched this, I did not understand that they were supposed to be at the beach, especially with this thing that Gustav can't swim and that Meg is a really good swimmer. Um, I thought this whole time that they were on like a gantry and it was not until this last viewing that I went, oh, they're at the beach because nothing in the staging says it. Yeah, I just assumed it was like a dock she'd run to. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. They're, they're like, like at the okay, boardwalk I or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So something like that. I don't know what Coney Island looks like. So you, you've got me convinced. Yeah. Yeah, just before they jump in, Eric, Madame Jury, and Christine show up to stop her. Meg sings about how much she's given to him and relieved nothing in... She's received nothing in return in a sort of, like, melancholy reprise of Bathing Beauties. Which... Mm -hmm. Okay, this is one of the few things that's actually working for me. Yeah, she's broken. Great, love it. She yeah, it's over like Gustav. her. Uh, it's like in Les Mis when it's like I've become a sex worker and now I have to go crazy. Moment, which I I say that like it's a like it's a joke. It is a really classic trope, but I think usually people perform it really well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
And I like that Meg has been given so much more to do in this one. Granted, it's not all great, but, you know, good for you, girl. Awesome. There's a lot of showing, uh, or there's a lot of telling with Meg instead of showing. I would have appreciated a little bit more showing, but, uh, but you know what? She's doing the best she can. Again, all of these actors are doing really well. Yes. No, I, I, will, I won't fault any of the acting and performances, right? They're doing great with um, what they've been given. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So she gives over Gustav. She's like, all right, yeah, maybe killing a kid isn't great. But what about killing myself? And she pulls out a gun and points at her own head. And somehow, somehow, <laughs> Eric becomes the voice of reason. <laughs> Even he, a broken <laughs> clock is right twice a day. <laughs> a broken yeah, he's, serial he's killing, reasonable, spooky man clock. He's calm, abusive, he's nice. grooming, <laughs> piece of shit. Yeah, he, he, he reaches out and he's all... Oh, yeah, no, you've totally been used, and oh, you're so beautiful in the way, in a horrible way that a creep like me can understand. Oh, man, if only you hadn't been so taken advantage of, says the man who did all the taking advantage of. (laughs) Well, they wrestle briefly, and the gun goes off. (gasps) But in a twist from. No film ever, because usually when the gun goes off and two people are wrestling, it's one of the two people have been shot. Well, that bullet wanted its way by <laughs> bending around the two of them and going straight for Christine's vital organs. Oh, no. That's right. The sequel kills Christine because fuck you, Sarah Brightman. <laughs> Andrew Lloyd Webber heard everybody saying that this was a horrible abusive relationship and he's like I know one way to fix that (laughs) (laughs) tapping his forehead like can't be an abusive relationship if there's only one of you yeah (laughs) so as Christine is dying she tells Gustav the truth of who his father is. While the Phantom's like looking at her being like, no, definitely don't say it. He's right here. <laughs> just don't. Yeah. Just don't. This kid has grown up surprisingly well adjusted so far. <laughs> and Gustav immediately goes, no, and runs away. And Eric is forced to let him go as Christine dies in his arms. Because, you know, it's... I, I can chase after the kid later, I guess. And she tells him, yeah. take care of my son because now you're all that he has. Despite the fact that, you know, a- any any number of other options exist in the world. You know, like a, a poorhouse. That's got to be better than this creepy grooming serial killer, right? Right? Well, they share one final kiss and she dies. Oops, here's Gustav again. And somehow he found Raoul and brought him here? Yeah, everybody's air-tagged in this family. 
Yeah. Uh, so Eric lets Raul cradle her body because, you know, he's a nice guy now. He's seen all of the errors of all of his ways and he's changed all of them. Eric then sings Love Never Dies to Gustav and and he does that thing where he finishes the song halfway through a sentence and the music just keeps going and yeah, he hugs Gustav and Gustav removes Eric's mask and caresses his face. The end! A happy ending! The, the end... Gustav has two daddies. I mean, it'd be an interesting sitcom, My Two Dads, starring Gustav. (laughs) Gustav, Raul, and Eric. I I would genuinely love this. Of course, the other day on Twitter, I did pitch a a sitcom based on the death of the Romanovs. So, you know, I, I recognize this has a limited appeal. Yeah. It's... It sure is an ending for Andrew Lloyd Webber to say, what if she just dies at the end and then that's it? What if at the end of the story, the Phantom has learned an important lesson about love? One that he technically learned at the end of the last show that we're going to completely ignore. Yeah, well, you know, he's he's seen the error of his ways. He's a better man now. He's ruined so many lives, and he says, I think I'm done ruining lives. Yeah, I'm, a, I'm about to ruin a person. I'm a parent now. That's what we do. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's 1905. It's a new century. He can raise Gustav to be any number of things involving money. Like, I don't know, a Hollywood producer... <laughs> Yeah, we uh, we see the next sequel, which is Phantom of the Opera Part Three: The Triangle Shirtwaist Factory. Oh no! <laughs> he doesn't have Sarah. Meg to work for him anymore. He's got to make money somehow. Yeah, well, you know, what about all that money he has? Yeah, the dude's got like hundreds of thousands, if not millions, of dollars in 1905 money. He, he's yeah. good. So that was Love Never Dies. What did you think? It is a deeply silly musical that, quite frankly, shouldn't exist. Yet, here it does exist. Uh, Like I said before, if this had been made by, like, a relatively unknown writer-director as as an early foray in their oeuvre of musical making, I would say it's a very strong musical for for a... uh, a lesser known artist but for an Andrew Lloyd Webber this is a very weak musical I just yeah. It's, yeah. Un- it's unnecessary right we clowned on cats a lot recently we've done a bunch of Andrew Lloyd Webber um, but I hope it always comes through when we talk about him that at least for me I I genuinely enjoy his music I think he is very talented um, he, he seems like kind of an asshole in person, but he can do stuff that nobody else can do. Mm-hmm. I, you know, there's a reason why we talk about Andrew Lloyd Webber and why he's a commonly known 
like musical making man. Mm-hmm. Not I... many people get to cross over into the general pop culture knowledge of being a musical making person, right? You've got Rodgers and Hammerstein, you've got Andrew Lloyd Webber, you've got. Um, why is my brain blanking on him now? I want to say Scorsese, uh, and I know it's not Sondheim. Sondheim. And, yeah, yeah. and then, like, Lin-Manuel Miranda, and that's about it. Like, you ask, you stop somebody on the street, nobody's bringing up Jason Robert Brown's name. No, absolutely not, because I have no idea who that is either. <laughs> he did um, uh, The Last Five Years, and uh, I think Parade. Okay, yeah, I know Parade. Yeah. Uh, the last five years yeah, is about it, a divorce. It's a, it's a great, it's another great sad, sad musical. But for an Andrew Lloyd Webber, I think this is just a weak output. Uh, it's unnecessary. It, it's just, it's unnecessary. Yeah, I think it's, it's Andrew Lloyd Webber's Phantom Menace. Um, it's the sequel to his biggest success and he had a lot of ideas and none of them are good and nobody told him no at any point throughout. Do you think that's a problem of his where he refused to take any input or do you think it's a problem of the people he's surrounded with who refused to give any input? It's interesting because I was watching a video yesterday about Bad Cinderella, which is his latest show, which just closed. Mm-hmm. Um, which, for some context, there has been an Andrew Lloyd Webber show playing on Broad. I think it's Broadway. I might be wrong. It might be the West End uh, for 44 years. Like one ends, but another one's still playing. That sort of thing. Bad Cinderella ended that run. <laughs> um, oh. Yeah, so it's not like he's continuously in the second half of his career churning out hits and Love Never Dies is the exception. Um, I think it's very clear that his best work was in the 70s and 80s when he was arguably less successful. But at the same time, like, Phantom of the Opera comes after Cats. Cats was the biggest show at that time, you know? Um, So I, I can't... I don't personally know enough about the man to say he needs to surround himself with more people who say no or that it would have made any difference at all. Um, I will say for somebody who has been creating for as long as he is, it is sad to me that he is not approaching what he used to do because I really love what he used to do. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's not to say that he can't come back. I mean, there's, there's plenty of, huge film directors that we looked at and you know we go oh he's going through a fallow period oh is this the end of like spielberg right there was that short period for spielberg where people were just like no he's he's not firing on the same cylinders and then he started coming back with like bridge of spies and shit Mm -hmm. although we'll still ignore ready player one because my god yeah, uh, Andrew Lloyd Webber is 75 years old. He still has plenty of youth in him. Uh, on the other hand, you've got Scorsese, who's like 85, and he's like, I feel, I'm, I feel like I'm finally starting to figure out this film thing. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, also goes through his ups and downs of, oh, goods and bads. Yeah. 
So maybe maybe there's still at least one more musical in Andrew's canon that he could fire out and be like, look at this fucking hit. Yeah. It's just, it definitely isn't this. And God knows the people want it. This is not um, like John Travolta being resurrected in Pulp Fiction career-wise. People want Andrew Lloyd Webber to succeed, I think. Yeah. Not least because it will earn everybody a lot of money. (laughs) Yes, there is that too. But Sarah, (laughs) is Love Never Dies camp? This is a tough thing. We talk a lot about So Bad It's Good versus camp. You know what? In like a Pink Flamingos, um, whatever happened to Baby Janeway, I do think Love Never Dies is camp. I think that it is far more unintentional camp than a lot of his other work. Um, Because this thing is a goddamn mess and despite all of the changes they just kept shoveling on the excess that wasn't meant to be a rhyme but it it happened anyway um i i have to land on yes love never dies is camp how about you uh i i have to say that it's only camp in its failure Mm. right that it is trying so hard it is yeah, it's trying to be a sequel to Phantom. It just, it, you're trying to be a sequel to Phantom. That's, you know, um, fuck. Didn't J.D. Salinger try to make a, uh, write a sequel to Catcher in the Rye or something? Uh, I think you're or thinking was, of um, To Set a Watchman, which is the sequel to, uh, to, to Kill a Mockingbird. Yes, okay, yeah. It's something like that where it's just like, it's loomed so large. It was so mm-hmm. successful. It was so widely accepted and then you come out with a sequel that it's got some swings in it but it's just not doing anything I think it's camp and it's failure but I just don't think it as a whole is camp it's just an okay musical yeah um don't see this I would say most of the time when we cover a musical, even something like The Apple, I would say, like, you gotta watch at least this number. Do not watch Love Never Dies. Yeah, no, it's it's not a recommend for me either. Uh, if, if you're an absolute completionist, fine, sure, whatever. Do that, right? I, I, can't, I can't speak down my nose at that. I just watched all of Charmed recently. Boy, howdy, do I never want to do that again. Yeah, while you've been watching Charmed, you kept noting, this is really racist, and I'm watching The X-Files for the first time with some friends. And uh, same thing, like, boy, this was a fun episode. Why are we talking about Chinese people like it's 1895? Yeah, but anyway. the difference between Char- Charmed and X-Files is that when X-Files is good, it's fucking great. <laughs> Charmed never reaches that level. Uh, I... I guess one last note, if you do feel like watching any of this, please watch the 25th anniversary Royal Albert Hall performance of Phantom of the Opera. It is genuinely very, very good. Do not watch the movie. Do not watch Love Never Dies. 
Yeah. Mm, or, you know, go to your nearest local showing of Phantom of the Opera. Maybe people are putting it on. Guess what? Support community theater as well. It's not always great, but it's important to keep the arts going, period. Right? Yes. People put their Especially heart and soul nowadays into when uh, we're, we're speaking while uh, both SAG and the WGA are still on strike. Um, maybe, maybe support artists at all. Yeah. 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 Before we're all replaced by AI. And on that note, thank you for joining us today on our exploration of Love Never Dies. Please subscribe on your podcaster of choice. Leave a star rating and review where you can, because it always helps us to find new people who may not know what their camp favorite is. Yes, and next week I'll be turning 36, and that means it's time for a birthday pick. So the rules for the birthday picks are, they're not movies that we think are strictly camp in any way or even worthy of being thought about ah is this camp it's often just like a movie we think more people should see this and uh i want to introduce it to my co-host because generally we pick a movie that you know the other person hasn't seen and we're just like i want to share this with you so it's not like love never dies where it's a punishment (laughs) yeah uh i i definitely accept that punishment for making you watch money plane Twice. <laughs> am I am I free from the punishment? Have we? Have yeah, we I think I think we came yet? out even Stevens on this. Okay. <laughs> well, next week we will be watching 2007 animated film from Japan, Paprika. A film that I was I was at the theater with you when you were seeing it, and I said, "I'm out, bye," and you said, yeah. "I'm going to get her back for this." Well, at the time, you told me, I'm just not a big fan of anime. I don't think this is going to be my thing. We had watched something previous to it, and I can't remember for the life of me what it was. Uh, it was Waitress. Because at the time, our local oh, indie cinema... Waitress. Our local indie cinema um, would charge one price for basically, like, all night, and they would show two shows. So you could go, you could pay, like, $10 and see the second movie, or you could pay $10 and see a double bill. Oh, man. Yeah, Waitress is also great. Go see Waitress if you guys want. It's yeah. so sweet. It's so lovely. And, you know, it's it's such an unfortunate thing what happened with the, the director. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because she was starting... Anyway, we're going to watch Paprika. Uh, it is an animated movie uh, from Satoshi Kon. And it's one of his last films, unfortunately, before he did pass away uh, un- at an untimely young death. But... All of his movies are fucking great. They're so well animated. Uh, they're such deeply thought out things in terms of like the the in, internal struggles of characters versus what we show to the world. And so essentially what this movie is about is um, uh, the main character is a dream therapist in the near future where they've invented technology for therapists to be able to enter the dreams of their patients while they're asleep. And so while she's in this dreamscape, she has a persona who is Paprika, uh, a fun, bright and bubbly young woman compared to her very steely regular life self. And over the course of the film, they find out that somebody has stolen the tech and they have now become a dream terrorist. So, uh, yeah, yeah. 
it's it gets real psychedelic and i firmly believe that this is one of the few films that actually understands how dreams can be portrayed on film we've all seen inception inception touched on it but i never felt like inception got weird enough paprika Mm. gets weird like dream logic weird I'm excited for this. Also, I love a good story that like really commits itself to weird dream logic. The Buffy Dream episode, I thought was I always thought was a really that's dream a great logic. example. Yeah. Yes, that that is a, a perfect example of how dream logic works. Paprika falls very much into that similar kind of thing. Uh, I will give an advanced warning. There is uh, a sort of sexual assault that happens in it. That's very clear that it's a sexual assault without visually being a sexual assault. You'll, you'll understand it if you see it. Uh, if you choose not to see it, that's fine too. We will discuss it. There is also some fat phobic things because one of the main characters is a fat man. But by the end of the film, that's kind of rectified as people come to uh, actually care for the person himself as opposed to his appearance. So, hooray for that. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's going to get weird. Hmm. Yes. Anyway, until next week, you, our audience, our campers, can dis- continue the discussion on our Instagram and our, we will continue to call it Twitter. It has changed on my phone. They, not even referring it to by, uh, by the other thing. It's fucking stupid. You can continue the discussion on our Twitter and our Instagram. I am at Reese Indigo, all one word, R-H-Y-S, spelled the Welsh way. And I am at Sour Citrus Lady. You can follow the pod on at Is It Camp Pod. Until next week, wait an hour before swimming, watch out for snakes, and stay camp. Bye. Oh, by the way, Sarah, um, mm-hmm. all those hints I've been dropping all this time, turns out I'm actually your dad. Oh, no. <laughs> I should have known when you were 70 years old. And the end.